Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Heinesser. Joining me this evening, the man who knows more about masturbation than Pee Wee Herman, Ian. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Wasn't that much knowledge? You know, well, you know, I think you're up there at this point. Uh, the woman who thinks compartmentalizing is a way to organize a trunk. Terry. Hi, everyone. <laughs> let's see. Uh, the man. Let's see. Oh, the only man who has been caught red-handed after painting his car. Mac. Hey, everybody. Um, Ian, I think the main thing that Pee Wee knows about masturbation at this point is what theaters not to do it in. <laughs> And of course, she who flips off abortion protesters, Kimberly. Oh, I do it every chance I get. Hi, everybody. How <laughs> many chances? So, what do you say? What are those? I had, a, I had a chance today, so it was a it was a good way to start my morning. So, so you're one for one. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> The start of a beautiful career, which is good that she gave me some material because she's the only one that I hadn't come up with a stupid intro for. I am pretty boring. It's tough. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> How is everybody doing? Great, very uh, good. Doing good. Apparently, apparently, my bird now knows how to imitate the uh, garage door going up and down well enough to actually make Sam go and check. Wow. Uh, I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, do we have any announcements tonight? Oh, we got some from Terry. I've got I've got a shout out to old friends who are new listeners at the Pedal House Bike Shop. Um, hey guys, thanks so much for the recommendation on the wet lube. It's awesome. Uh, and they're listeners now. They're listeners now. And is well, this allegedly is, is oh alleged is this your doing? <laughs> yes, I talked up the podcast and suggested that they listen. All right, they're old buddies. I've been buying bikes from them since like 2005. So are they a small like independent bike shop too? They are, and uh, they in the past until recently they had women in the shop too, which was awesome because you don't you still unfortunately don't see that all the time. But yeah, they're just great and they're realistic and they are really good at telling you you know what you need and helping you get what you want and making sure that you get a bike that you will ride. So okay, what exactly yeah. is the wet lube used for? The drivetrain. Yeah, huh? <laughs> that's what she said. Totally different direction. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for recommending the. <laughs> The wet lube, and it's lube, engineered yeah. for extreme riding conditions. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, my other announcements are not going <laughs> to nearly touch that. <laughs> but I'll try real quick. All right. So just to let people know, um, over at the Secular Hub, we're still doing movie nights on Thursday. This week on the 22nd, we're doing The Big Lebowski. And next week on the 29th, we're doing frequently asked questions about time travel. I also wanted to let people know that we're doing the Flying Spaghetti Monster Spaghetti Dinner at the Hub on it's our final Friday Hub Hang on Friday the 30th. Um, we're asking for donations from people so that we can kind of help pay for it, but we're going to have spaghetti and there's going to be prizes and it should be a lot of fun. Uh, the other we're stuff coming on. up is... What's that? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say we're planning on the FSM Spaghetti Dinner. Our oh, family. Terrific. Good. Well, that's Excellent. right. I'll be, yeah, kids, welcome. I'll be in Houston. And, uh, oh. And lastly, on September the 8th, it's a Sunday, uh, Roy Zimmerman is going to be in concert at the Secular Hub. He's got some really great videos and songs, um, of a secular nature and political too. Uh, stuff that I think anybody who can stand listening to us would probably enjoy quite a bit. So check that one out too. 
And other than that, um, people are keeping busy, but I don't have any other major events coming up right now. All right. All right, Ian, you want to you want to give this uh, corrections issue, put this in here? Okay. Um. Yeah, just in our last podcast, we mentioned Dumbass interviewing us. And he has, um, he, of course, for the actual information, we were, we were interviewed for Skeptical Briefs, which is a newsletter available to the members of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Okay. So, not, you know, I don't think it's anything average people can just go out and find, but, um, it's kind of cool exposure. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I think I get that. I don't know. All right. Now it's so, time for Ian's Masturbation Moment. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Today's masturbation-related article, um, and this is one of those things where it's like, um, if you could let high school kids know that this is what you can do with science, I think you'd get a lot more kids interested in working in science. Because basically, um, <laughs> you, you gotta love these um, experiments, because you definitely... There's some um, scientists that I honestly think are per- perverts, and I love them. They're great. Um, the article is, Female Orgasm is Best Workout for Brain, Claims Sexual Pleasure Expert. Can I just say, I, I appreciate the fact that you finally did a female masturbation piece. Can I bring out the actually even funnier part that Ian appears to believe that women only have orgasms through masturbation <laughs> and what that may say? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kimberly, Ian! <laughs> I'm, I'm positive it's a, it's a male scientist decided that he wants to explore female masturbation but i'll tell you what i the only way i've ever had a female orgasm is through masturbation i'm just saying (laughs) okay anyways so basically uh neuroscientists studied women's brain patterns while they were getting off and apparently um well after they got off and determined they were better at working out crossword puzzles and um sudoku after the orgasm is this just uh, not because the man isn't pressuring her for sex anymore? Oh, I guess they're masturbating, so I guess that isn't. No, that's not usually. Oh, it's not? Okay. Necessarily. <laughs> that's right. So is it just because the men have stopped pestering them at that point? That's, the, the claim is an orgasm, here's the actual quote, at orgasm we see a tremendous increase in the blood flow to the brain. So my belief is that it can't be bad. It brings all nutrients and oxygenation to the brain. Well, hold on, hold on. Unless his belief is it can't be bad. Is He's his, saying it can't. Is it in any way empirical? <laughs> well, and by what mechanism, too? I guess that was my question. It's got to be bringing blood, increased blood supply everywhere, right? Like it wouldn't be a direct correlation to just the brain, would it? Why would that? Be? Well, I see that it gets, but it kind of refreshes the brain and you know gets it all pumped up to what it needs to be. Now, what I love is he's a 70-year-old researcher and has been studying female sexual pleasure since the 1960s. You know what, though? Here's the thing. you got to kind of respect him for that because this that area of, of research isn't always highly funded. 
Um, if you read yeah. Bonk, she really talks about how difficult it is to get the proper funding for this kind of research and that a lot of times proper research isn't being done because the funding is difficult to get because people don't right. necessarily always want to funding, fund sexual research for, you know, because it, I don't know, it makes you feel awkward or something. Well, honestly, I don't think he'd have any problem getting, um, assistance for his, um, test. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure there's a fair amount of guys who are more than willing to help out. It's not just guys, it's, it's, it's women, and it's, and it's yeah. not just getting people to do, to do the research on, it's getting the funding to do the research in the first place. Yeah. And even says, he, he started his experiments on rats, but moved to women in the 1980s. Although that line doesn't quite sound that. <laughs> that sounds horrible, actually. <laughs> but well, What's he going to oh, move on he, to next? He, <laughs> he concludes, we know oh, virtually dolls. nothing about pleasure. Yeah. So, I, and oh. I think that, I think that, um, it, like I say, Mary Roach's book, Bonk, would, would probably, um, uh, back up some of those, some of the statements that he is making. It's just not well researched. Yeah. Well, there's a myth out there for so long that women were supposed to not be responsive. You know, women didn't orgasm. They just sort of put up with it. Right. right yeah. But look at what the treatment for hysteria was. Yeah. Right. But that was a socially sanctioned medical treatment. It's not like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they called it orgasm, right? Well, they, Did they, they, they didn't, but I mean, what, what's the actual effect of no, putting a vibrator? No, they called it a hysterical peroxide. Yeah. I mean, it's. See, yeah. yeah, they well, di- they divorced it from the from being a female orgasm. I think. I think that they tried to divorce females from F- females weren't sexual supposed pleasure. to enjoy sex. Right, right. I I, I got that impression is you know up until recently women weren't supposed to actually enjoy sex. That's a slutty thing to do. Women were just supposed to sit there and let the men get off. So well, it gets us into well, and men a, weren't a, supposed to enjoy sex either, except with their mistresses. <laughs> you know, if we talk Victorian times. <laughs> Yeah, the wife's just there procreation. You want to actually have fun, you got to go out and get some on the side. Yep. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, it'd be, we, they don't, I, I, it's not actually pinned down exactly when that started, but, and, and maybe it's always been that way in this culture. I, I don't know. But yeah, I think that is, and, and, so if a woman enjoys sex, she's a slut. If a man, in, if a man enjoys sex, he's, it's, it's normal. Yeah. He's a stud. He's a stud. Definitely. Exactly. Right. They're conquests when 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 he sleeps with multiple women. Of course. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think we've we've done that podcast before too, haven't we? Yeah. You know, where we've talked about those yeah. issues. So. All right. Um. Do you want, do we want to move this article? This next article as part of your overall topic, or should I just do it? That's fine. That that, uh, that would make that that fit in later on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, why don't you go ahead and um and and. And introduce okay. this segment that you want to talk about, Ian. Okay, so tonight's episode, I picked the topic, and I, um, looking at a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the news lately, I decided a, a really good um, topic would be to talk about racism and intolerance, because I think Ian, we are seeing a lot of it. Yeah. Ian, can I ask you a question real quick? Okay. So you don't really have a personal perspective on this. Well, I'm not uh, sure. I, no, I'm... I mean, I'm just asking you, do you have a personal perspective on this? Cause well, actually, I think I'd none like of to us, not, not, a, not a single one of us, you, me, or Brian, have ever really had to deal with, deal with um, being treated with I, racism. I wouldn't say that. We've had to deal with aspects of it. I think most people do, especially the intolerance part. The racism, obviously not. We're all admittedly white. Well, exactly. We, we very much have white male privilege. We are privileged white yeah, boys. Absolutely we are. Well, I, I think we've experienced intolerance to some degree or another, not the heavy stuff. We, I but, think that I have been, I have 
been a you know intolerance for certain certain views maybe. Um, yeah. But I don't think that I have really ever suffered at the hands of intolerance. Really, not as much as some people, but um, mildly. And 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 I would and I would and I would suggest that maybe Terry and Kimberly might be able to speak to this more, being women. Oh well, there's definitely aspects of that that'll come in. You know, they're, it's good to have them here, especially you know we know that um, Kim, you know. Not only being a woman, but a lesbian has probably experienced it more than the rest of us. Right. So oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right, but I mean, we have a friend Nator, um, who is a, a black woman in the skeptics community, and I'll bet that she has suffered it more than any of us. Oh yeah, and you know, there's no doubt, and and that's one thing. We'll start off with we're going to talk about racism straight out because um, one of my thoughts looking at it is I think racism is actually becoming more prevalent right now because of Obama. I think he has scared a lot of people that were kind of backing down when it came to being racist, and they, they have come out and become louder. Because that, that's what it feels like to me right now. I, I get the feeling that racism is actually going up because of Obama. You know, so do you think it do you think it was in decline before Obama was elected, or just like at well, a I study? I think it was rate. more in the closet. It was kind like of more it was not okay. Up. They yeah, weren't I'm, as I'm loud or as open about it, and I, I think we've seen a shift. So the first thing I put in here was old racism, but it definitely and um, Sans put a couple links to um, the. Yeah, I I actually found a copy of. Um, I've got the same link in there twice. I'll edit that out. I thought I had two different years, but I only have the same year twice. And but it's um, it's it's, oh, it's the actual the actual green book in PDF format. If you want to take a look through it and read it. It's called the Negro Motorist Green Book, and basically what it is, it is, it is a guidebook for black people who wish to travel around the country, and basically places that are friendly towards them. And it's something that I think they had to print this up. I mean, during this time frame, if you were a black person driving across the country, you needed a book to tell you, oh, this city will actually be nice to you, and avoid these cities because you will not be welcomed there. And the whole concept of it is pretty mind-blowing i mean the fact that there was a need for this just did yeah. not reflect well on our history and what you know, era was this like the 19 late 1940s this um, particular 19... edition that in the, the the one that ian found the link to is 1940 the book that i found is 1949 so it was still yeah, and, going on in 1949 it looks right. like it was uh, according to the site it went from 1936 to 1964 mm, wow so, uh, I mean, you know, some of the comments decades. on some of the comments on this. One of the comments was talking about the fact that they could still see in Arkansas in the 1970s rest, third restrooms at at gas stations. Right. You know, your third restroom is your white is your white men, white women, and then blacks is the third restroom. Well, the last comment I'm looking at is a um, black woman who says that it was a, my guess is her family must have used it from the sounds of it. It was a very small book. There were not places in all states. Most of the time we drove straight through or found a place deep in the woods to rest and go to the bathroom. Yeah, I, I read that too and I thought that was probably the best comment on the entire thing. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a comment where it's, it's a personal experience. It's, it's shared. And this is something we should have grown out of. I mean, this is half a decade ago. We should be beyond that and yet we're not. And, and like I said, just look at some of the stuff that's going on right now. Um, the first well, one I have here, what? We are beyond it, but we're, we're, we're forcibly beyond it because now there's huge penalties for 
any place that gets away with that or, you know, that thinks they're going to get away with that kind of discrimination, there's huge penalties now. So right. we're not, we're, we're beyond it, but we're forced to be beyond it. So we're like artificially beyond it. Well, so the first one um, we're looking at is um, not going against the blacks, but Mexican American time. And I hope everyone heard about this. Um, basically, a ten-year-old kid, extremely talented singer. I mean, if you if you, if you haven't heard him sing, go to some of these links and listen to him you sing. Know, he is a talented singer. The link was Kids pulled got down. Some pipes on him. Yeah, it was pulled yeah. down before I get got to hear it. Um, who the, the it was pulled down by the user. So the page that you could, you, you hadn't here, um, it, it was gone when I looked the other day. Um, the uh, the, well, the YouTube. Definitely put his name in. Um, Sebastian de la Cruz. Okay. I can guarantee you'll find um him on Facebook like or YouTube like crazy. Anyways, or he, NPR. He got, I, okay. I think NPR ran a story about him too, so they might have him. More than likely. So, anyways, he was on America's Got Talent um, at some point. He got a national spotlight and um, you know got noticed because he's a talented singer. And so, um, the San Antonio Spurs um, invited him to come and sing the national anthem for Game Three of the NBA Finals. He came out. He was dressed in a Maserati um, outfit that fits his heritage. He came out and he sung, and he sung that anthem, and I, I've seen the video of it. He does an incredible job, yeah. but a bunch of racist a holes. <laughs> I can't think of how to describe them. Other words, these jackasses who are really pathetic <laughs> came out and um are basically criticizing him because he's Mexican. Yeah, and some you of know, these things are this kids this this little kid is like the best of what it is to be an American. Yeah, he right. he base he 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 brings here this talent. He does something beautiful. And when these people go and start trying to pick on him, he is absolutely classy, and he basically takes the lemons and he makes lemonade. Well, then the Spurs invited him back after all this. said, okay, you guys are going to come with the racist bullshit. We will have the kid back on to see it yet again <laughs> because okay. we're not going to put up with that ourselves. Right, but and these comments are, are terrible. Nine out of ten chances... That kid sings national anthem is illegal. They're, they're not paying attention to the talent, and that, that's uh, going to be a reoccurring theme well, of some of these articles. Is they're the ignoring the talent? Ignoring, yeah. Well, yeah. or the fact that he's a little kid. I mean, right. seriously, what kind of a dipshit do you have well, to but, be to pick on a little kid? But the implication well, here is that there's no way that that Mexican boy could be an American, and that's though, that's the is. problem. <laughs> even though he is. How, how dare he actually has pride in his culture? Right. He, he's an American now, now, but he has Mexican roots. There's nothing wrong with him saying, hey, look, I know I have Mexican roots. I, none of us are pure Americans. We, well, n- and none of I, our families have been here more than a few hundred years at the most. My folks came here in the 1800s. Yeah. I have a Native American Germany ancestor. and Germany and Ireland and Scotland. I have so a Native American ancestor, ancestor, but they weren't even... Necessarily indigenous. Well, but I mean, I mean he, but here's the thing: is that we're all Africans, right? We all immigrated everywhere. We we didn't yeah. all, we didn't start out in you know in this country. We all had to start. In, we all started in one place and, and branched out from there. So this i so this whole idea of I mean, what what makes you what what makes your what your culture your race where you were born or where your or where your parents were born? 
Well, apparently the Twitter users who were talking about this kid, what makes their culture a race is uh, intolerance and uh, ignorance. You know, I really have no connection to my heritage. I mean, I have I have Jewish heritage, I have Russian heritage, and and I would not consider myself really either of those things. I'm an American. I mean, the, those you know, even my parents were born here in the United States, and their parents were born here. It isn't until you go generations beyond that that they immigrated over here. At what point are we just Americans and we have to get past this? And and, and I realize that, that maybe that's easy for me to say, um, but it just it it bothers me because we we have we have Black Americans, we have Mexican Americans, we have you know I mean I the Vietnamese list goes on Americans, and on. Vietnamese Chinese Americans, Americans, yeah, Korean exactly. Americans. Those people are as as American as I am. Oh great! And of course, what's sad is then you jump a couple weeks later, and apparently Mark Anthony sung "God Bless America." And they did the same thing with him. And this is an established singer. It's not like this is some guy that just came on the scene. And it's, you know, like, wait a minute, you guys could actually look this guy up and know that he's born American, but they're doing the exact mm. same thing, seeing the exact same kind of stuff. And it's like, do they just want these, to show how ignorant they are? These people on Twitter are representing the worst of what it means to be American, which is Definitely. they are, they are, uh, I think the saddest thing about these comments is the, the pathetic lack of creativity in any of them. It's like no, one comment right, just left. kind of builds off the other. It's, it's, there's no, there's not even any cleverness in this. Well, it's just, no, it's just ignorant. It's just, when they just lack the imagination that someone who would, uh, be an American citizen would bring pieces of their ancestral culture along with them in the same way that yeah. Norwegians in Minnesota eat lutefisk or whatever, you know? It, and yet, it, in truth, the American culture is nothing but stuff brought over from other cultures. <clears throat> I mean, we are. Exactly. Uh, our whole structure is built off of everything that's been brought together from every single other country in the but world. It seems. This is patriotism gone awry. This is when where patriotism yeah. is a bad thing. Yeah. Well, in the uh, racism, I is almost was like... a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I no, wish. it's somebody it's probably, else. It's probably better than the uh, the food product, <laughs> <laughs> fermented fish. <laughs> like uh, gefilte think... fish too. There, there's a there's a wonderful dish. I think that uh, um, racism becomes kind of a, a marker of status among some of these people, or like a badge of honor. You know, I'm like. more, yeah. yeah. I'm going to show off to my friends that I am a racist, bigot, idiot, and say, why the fuck is they speak singing God Bless America? And, it, you know, I, I can't see anyone being proud of saying something stupid like that. And yet, but, you know, these people probably yeah. are sitting here, you know, defending themselves, and they probably have friends patting themselves on the back, and yeah, good going there. Of course, yeah, I um, watched... I watched the movie uh, 42, which is about Jackie Robinson. And while the movie itself was, I, I think it was really, really highly sanitized, but it was interesting. I'm thinking about this little kid saying it didn't, it didn't phase him at all. And I'm thinking about that scene where, uh, in the scene in the movie where, which apparently, by the way, didn't actually happen, but Jackie Robinson went into the locker rooms after the opposing team's coach spent about 20 minutes ragging on his race went into the locker rooms and broke a bat in half because he had to do something just just something to let the pain out so i'm wondering if he was actually as unfazed as he said he was but you know here's anyway. the thing is that he may have a, a a really good support group and and so he may be able to, to distance himself from the from these kind of comments where jackie robinson yeah. probably really couldn't he probably he didn't had have a good the support same... group too, but well, you know, there's there's so much you can take, and there's so much you there's there. It's a point where you can't take it anymore. Well, and it's early well, too. And if, all, 
if all of your allies are marginalized like you, I mean, that's not very supportive in the culture that's abusing you either, you know? Yeah. Correct. Uh, like it's the power disparity thing. Well, and... Kristen. Oh, nope. You're sideloning. Me? Yes. Yeah, and it's not even by our command. <laughs> you in? Yes. Okay. Well, Am start over. Well, no, I was going to let you finish up. Oh, okay. No, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that point for now. Let's, let's move on. Okay. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to move on. So, um, <clears throat> so the next one is very sad case of victim blaming. And it is a Ted Nugent blames Tavon Martin for shooting in the Greg Zimmerman case, calling late teen a dope smoking racist gangster wannabe. And this is one thing I've been seeing on a few other, he's not the only one to claim this, but there's been other people out there that have been claiming this, that basically, um, somehow the seven, unarmed 17 year old is the victim in the shooting because he was a gangster wannabe and he might have grown up, you know, he, he, he was, as far as we know, he hasn't, didn't do anything that typical teenager doesn't do. You know, he does some bad decisions, he acts certain ways, stuff like that. But apparently, in this case, it, I've actually seen people say, well, he, uh, at least he won't grow up to be a criminal, kind of. Like, there's nothing that said he would. But because he had a certain look about him, guess what? It's not that big of a deal. Oh, you know, and we're seeing that. And it's definitely racist. Well, I mean, Ted, this is, but this is typical of Ted Nugent. Yeah, yeah he, he loves to jump on the bandwagon for things. And I, this is somebody that I used to really kind of have a, a lot of admiration for you know this is a bow hunter uh naturalist but in recent times he's gotten to be kind of a blowhard well i mean i don't think it's recent times i think it's i think it's just finally it he you know he he he's gotten to a point where these kinds of things don't negatively affect him there's no, there's no blowback he's to a this. point where he's He's got a certain amount of power and he's abusing that power to forward a, a kind of a sad agenda yeah i i'm he, but the, his opinion has been like, marginalized. He's not the only one doing this. this is a attitude that I've seen elsewhere, and I, I love this one picture people did. It was a bunch of black medical students who did two pictures outside of their university. One, they were all in lab coats, you know, looking like physicians. The other was they were all in hoodies, and you know, they were saying, you know, we're not criminals, we're not thugs. You can't judge, you know. And I thought that was brilliantly done because, yeah, these are people that you can't say are thugs yet. If you saw them walking in the hoodie, according to the logic being given by Nugent here, um, shoot first because they might be. And it's scary that there's that mentality out there. I have a hoodie. I do too. I have a few. But you, you guys aren't black. You don't have yeah, to we're worry white. about yeah. it. I wear my hoodie any damn place I want. Um, so I'll go next. I've got one called Republican um, named Yoho declares tanning bed tax racist against whites. <laughs> this is fantastic. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it is. This, this, this is pretty awesome. Okay, I, I have to ask you, is it a pirate's life for him? <laughs> I, I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know. I should have looked up a picture of this Yahoo. Um, no, no, Yoho, not Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo. Yeah. I'm going to keep calling him a Yahoo. <laughs> Pronounce it right, please. <laughs> oh. so, you know, uh, I don't. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the the uh, the root of his argument is that um, uh, Obamacare has proposed a 10% tanning bed tax, and that's what he's all up in arms about. He says it's racist against white people. I think okay, he's just so funny. right because black okay, people don't use tanning beds. Tanning bed? Well, I clearly have not. I, if I, I tried if it I, once. 
if I used a tanning bed, I probably would not have one arm several shades darker than the other from hanging it out the window of my car. I guess, I guess I would, I do kind of wonder why, are, why are we taxing tanning beds differently for Be- some reason? Um, because we're taxing they, they, tanning beds differently because they, they, the UV concentration does tend to create a higher incidence of skin cancer. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. There's, there's a logical reason for it. Saying if you're going to go and risk getting cancer, you're going to pay a little more so that we can afford to take care of you. There is a logic to yeah. that. Okay. It's it's risky behavior, and it's also um kind of it's 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 a luxury and yes. and kind of a vanity behavior. It's right. it'd be the same as kind of it'd be the same as putting a higher tax on like uh, cosmetic procedures that are risky. So it's not so much a tax on white people as it is on uh, on a particular risky behavior. Right. Yes. But but he, of course like he doesn't. Right. He doesn't address that at all. Oh no. So no, no there you no. go. He's, he does address the fact that he's been dis- disenfranchised by it though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Darn. So, His word. Uh, I'm on. Boehner might is the one I would expect. To, John Boehner is the one I would expect. Well, to, but his uh, you know, his pan yeah. comes Boehner out of a can. Pan probably uses things. Yeah, I, I don't know. Are 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 can tanning? You know, are they causing cancer? <laughs> it probably. I think they. I think they have been. I don't know if they've been proven, but I think it's at least been inferred that they can contribute to it. Well, there, there's probably something in there that that can cause cancer. Sure, everything else does. Yeah. It's the it's it's a high concentration of UV light which does the tanning. No, not not uh, Boehner. Boehner's tan comes out of a can. Okay, <laughs> but in the case of a tanning bed, in the case of a tanning bed, the Oompa Loompa tan is is it, that's yeah. a that's a, a a skin product. Yeah, because we um, see that with Boehner and with Trump. Right. Anyway, but the, the so, tanning bed is a high concentration of UV light, which is the same thing. As causes cancer in sunlight. Okay, but if that being the case, then we also need to look at people who are getting their nails done because these acrylic nails are using a UV light to set them. And there's and and there and there's some question now if that exposure is enough to to cause skin cancer there as well and create. But Yahoo's Yahoo's underlying premise is that only white people would ever use a tanning bed. Well, that's but, why it's toxic yeah, but, against white. But plenty. Of well, and and wait, he did the scientific research on this. Let's it. His let's, N of one. He asked this one guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, asked, he asked. He asked a darker skinned guy, and the guy said he didn't need a tanning bed. Therefore, he's got a hundred percent as a hundred percent of his samples gave him but, gave him support to his answer, right? Because he asked this one guy. That one guy. Oh well, this one guy down the pub. Okay. Yeah, who was yeah. a doctor? No, no, he was a doctor. He was an Indian doctor and had dark oh, skin. Well, he speaks for all. We know what fallacy that is. <laughs> we know what fallacy that is. That's the- appeal to authority because it was a dark skinned oh, oh. doctor. <laughs> Hey, Darky, do you ever use a tanning bed? That's one of those ridiculous All right. things about someone trying to play the race card and the In, exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. Way. That that one kind of is, is a oh. big fail. Yeah. Wait, yeah. okay. Uh, Ted Yoho himself is actually a doctor as well. He's a vet. He's a large uh, animal he, vet. Wait, he's a large animal veterinarian. That's got to be better than being a regular vet. <laughs> at least, at least at the very least, you got to be stronger. Yeah, I, I like our large animal vets, but I hate this guy. He okay, people's I'm openly letting what? you take away the show now. Next, the articles are all yours. All right, all right. So, um, I got sent an interesting article. 
called The Politics of Being Friends with White People. And it was a, it was a particularly interesting article. She was talking about how she had a good, strong relationship with a, uh, with a white girl growing up. But as they, as they kind of grew apart, just, <sighs> lost the thread of my yeah, mind. Yeah, no, so as, as they got older, they, they grew apart and the, the, um, the black girl in this case found that it was difficult for her to be friends with white people. And, and yeah. she said it particularly because at some point they started dating and she dated white men and she, and the other one dated black men and they, and they, she didn't feel like they had as much in common at that point. Um, and oh. that seems like they, so they just kind of drift apart and that's pretty normal well, for, for, for young kids she got anyway. Accused by, she got accused by other black children of trying to act white. Sure. Or things of those, things of those, Things of that nature. Um, the uh, the the real telling point at the bottom of this, you know, she was talking about people who white people who say some of their best friends are black, and they're saying, well, you know, they may be your friend. Are you their friend? You know, it, one of the things that drives me nuts is these this idea that because you have a black friend, you couldn't be a racist. Yeah, it, it's absolutely fallacious. To me, the fact that you say you have a black friend means you're racist. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I would rather have a friend than a black friend. Yeah, well, right, it's but just, um, it's a marker. It's just it's as bad. Status. Yeah, it's just as bad when people say, "Well, I'm colorblind. I don't see color." Bullshit. That's utter yeah. bullshit. Of course you do. Yeah. Well, I um, it's been a while, but a, a while ago, my um, oldest son was friends with a black kid, and we were—he was the only white kid invited to the guy's birthday party. And the whole family was invited, so it, we went there. We were the only white family there, and you know, it wasn't. I I'm not going to try and say that straight out wasn't kind of weird feeling. It was, but at the same time, we you know had casual conversations with them, and you know, it, it did. You know, I, I like I said, I, I I tried. You know, I don't think people buy race, but in you know, there is times where that's like you are aware that in you know you're the only non-black one there, mm-hmm. and it. Isn't the easiest thing to just sit back and relax with. Is it race and, or is it cultural differences? Is it really the color of their skin or is it a difference in the way that people were raised and the difference in the way that people behave and act? Well, the interesting thing is these guys were, um, um, a bit better off than us, which also was interesting because, um, I think that's what made me feel more out of place was the fact that, okay, these guys are, you know, more professional than we are. So you're so saying there was a black a... family can't be doing well financially? No, no. Like some of the mean? conversations about um uh where ta- um taxes were lower for living and stuff that I felt awkward, the most awkward with. Because so it was more that class. Was most, class yeah, which was yeah, which was one more interesting thing. You know, it was aware of the black stuff, but the stuff that made me feel the most uncomfortable was the class, and it wasn't because they were black and upper class. It was just because they were an upper class to me. And it's like, okay, you know, I don't want to say stuff because I'm a working class and I, you know, might feel stupid if I start trying to get into debate with them over some of this. You know, um, there's a comedian I've been listening to quite a bit of his stuff lately, a guy by the name of Eric Griffin. And one of his claims to fame is that he's very hard to place. He's, he's a black man or he's a mixed, mixed race man, but partially black, but he's very, very difficult to place. Um, as far as his appearance goes, because he is, he is toward the paler end of the spectrum. And so one of his routines he's talking about, he's talking about how he'll be in a group of people and there's, there'll be like, 
Oh yeah, and this we were at this restaurant the other day, and this black uh, Eric are you black, and he'd be like, "No, no, gone, gone with your little story." <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: is that it, it it's it's gotten to the point where it, it is socially, um, what uncouth to acknowledge these differences. Yeah, and that makes it hard to talk about them when really they sh- right. they should be discussed and a lot of what it is it's not it's not skin color it's cultural differences they were raised differently than we were they were right. in in, in, in I different don't, i don't 100% agree with Brian well i think that i think that we see we see other and there's an article later on in the podcast that talks about okay. that but we see other and because we see other we expect other. No, we and look for differences. I think I, I, looking for samenesses. I, I don't disagree with that at, at all. Um, I, I think my and I, yes, of, of course. Well, I, being black people are being raised differently than I was, and some of them, right? Is it just because of a different experience in the larger white culture, though? I mean, like our, I can't even compare my privilege to somebody being African American, and, and that's part of the problem. Them. Being Brian, in a privileged white culture, I don't have to deal with those things. Was. Was that? You were raised differently than I was. Well, uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and, well, Admittedly, yeah. we probably have more common ground than we have separate ground, but you can't really say that anybody on this earth, except possibly your sister, was raised the same as you were. No, I can't even say and that my sister was raised was, the same as her me. Her experience was different than yours, Ex- too. Absolutely. And, 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 yeah, I guess my point is, is that I want to acknowledge that these differences exist and I want it to be okay to talk about them. Whether, whether yeah. it's culture or whether it's just skin color, it should be okay to talk about these things. Well, and I, I object to the homogenization. Like it should be okay to be different. We don't all have to be the same and we don't Absolutely. all have to eat the same food right. or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that we should feel free to sample each other's culture and learn from each other's culture without you know, being being accused of trying to act like the other culture. It, you know, in that's not even necessarily a bad thing, but just when the accusation comes out, it's made into a bad thing. You know, I'd like to be able to I'd like to be able to go in and sample foods of of um you know, I I do a lot of uh, I I like to try a lot of oriental foods. I like to try Greek foods, but you know, I don't think I've, I've been in a soul food restaurant, but I didn't order there because I was with somebody that I was working with. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, see, I don't know. Um, I, I go to a, uh, we have a, um, in Thornton, there's a, there's an Asian center and I like to go in the restaurants in there, but I mean, definitely, um, you know, sometimes it, it, it can be, um, it can feel awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and again, I think acknowledging the awkwardness and feeling it, you know, I think anytime we're in a situation where we don't feel completely at home is, is not a bad thing. I think some people react badly. It's, it can be a great learning experience. It depends on how you do it. But I, I kind of agree with the point that's been made a dozen times here. You know, acknowledging it shouldn't be bad. Making assumptions yeah. and acting on them without getting more information, without being open to it, I think can be bad. You know, but I also, I do kind of have that perspective where I also understand um, where there should be space for you and the other members of your minority where you can feel like the majority. And it might put somebody else not at ease. And I think that's, again, another thing that's okay. Because there is something to be said for feeling like this is where I belong. 
And right. I think, you know, it's, it's okay if people want some of that and they also want some of that, you know, I want to experience new things. I want to see stuff that I've never seen before, taste food I've never tasted before. I think it can all act in conjunction. It's right. It really almost seems to come down to a little bit of attitude, don't you think, well, of just how you approach it? You know, here's the thing is that by going into those awkward situations over and over again, I now have a restaurant that I go to on a regular basis. I know the owner and and that situation has, is no longer awkward for me. I go in there. I say, I, I, I come in. I, you know, and I, I set myself down and, you know, I have a chat with the owner and, and, you know, we just, I decide what to order. Do you and get weird looks from the other patrons. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I might. Well, that, that's a really good question. At the one mixed race, at the one mixed race wedding I've been at, I was actually perfectly comfortable with the bride who was black and her family. It was the white groom and his brother who were, who I thought were a bit, um, uh, trying to think of a good way to say this, but they definitely weren't editing themselves. And I thought they said some stuff that was, to me at least, um, inappropriate for a wedding. It was a small wedding, but there was the white guy that made me feel the most uncomfortable. Okay. And Who invited you? The white, fa- the white family or the black family? Um, actually, the, the black family, because uh, my wife and her were, um, had been friends for a while. And who did people assume? Did people assume you were sitting on their side of the of the of the wedding, or was, did they assume you were sitting on the thing. other? It was a real small thing. I don't think there was even a dozen guests. Yeah. So, who has ever heard the term "passing"? I have. I have. Oh, certainly. But I got introduced to this. I got introduced to this term in um, a discussion. Actually, believe it or not, over uh, the actress Carol Channing, who is. Her father was passing, basically. But to pass is to essentially to appear to be of, you know, let's say you are a black person, but you're a light-skinned black person. To pass is to basically to take on the appearance of a white person and to come across that way. You guys still there? Yeah, we're still here. We're- mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, this thing. It's so broader quiet. than that, though. I mean, for this discussion, that's specific, but um, it's also yeah. like, uh, yeah, it it can apply to a lot of situations where you it try can. to blend with the native if, culture. If you are in this country and you are half white and half black, you are considered black. Yeah. If you take a plane and go to, I, I forget what the example was. I don't know if it's Colombia or or some other some other place. You get off the plane. Now you're white. Right. Uh, I found interesting in the Wikipedia article on passing that they were also talking about Aryan appearing Jews passing in order to survive. Right. Uh, One of the sad things that, you know, kind of had to happen. Yeah. And that's not a situation where standing up for yourself and standing up for your race is healthy. Right. The the other link I put in here was to, um, to the Wikipedia page for a book called Black Like Me, where a white man artificially darkened his skin in order to pass as black and to experience experience things from that perspective. And this was what back in nineteen sixties, yeah. yeah. Nineteen fifty nine. That just looks fascinating. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, he would have had a really, really crappy time back in nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, that took a lot of courage. I love the fact though that they're talking about people who knew him relatively well didn't even recognize him with his with his different skin color. Including right. um including this shoes giant man that he had spent he'd spent a lot of time with. This black. guy didn't recognize him even no. you know, even he didn't recognize him even when he told him, he still didn't get it. So Well people cue in on these visual cues, you know. Uh yeah. Yeah. I, I have to admit that for me a lot of a lot of recognizing a person has to do with context. 
Yeah. I had a kind of an embarrassing incident the other day where I didn't recognize my upstairs neighbor because he got out of the wrong car. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that, was, that's a really was, good point about what the way the brain works. I thought, well, you know, he looks an awful lot like, but I'm sitting here talking to him as if he's a stranger, and I'm just randomly chatting with him about my evening, and he's like, um, it's me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I was just playing along with you. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Moving on, the next one, big fan of The Daily Show, and I love this segment. Um, what they did was they took five black people and five white people, and they got talking. Of course, the, um, one of the jokes is you have, uh, um, for the commentators, you have a white and black, black woman, and they're both supposed to go in the groups, but they switch. So the white woman's in with the black people, and the black woman's in with the white people. And they ask questions about racism. Um, when asked, is racism alive in America? All five of the black people were like, yes, and gave you know, what percentage or whatever, and they were They were all like, 7%, it's 7% solved, yeah. it's 5% solved. Yeah. I did have one, I did have one question here, here though. Salt. When, when they do these things, are, are, are the people that are, that they're interviewing, are they in on it? No, they're random groupings. Are, are you sure? Because I'll tell you what, because it looked like the, the grouping with, with Samantha Beale, that they, they that they kind of knew what they they were kind of in on it. They kind of knew what was going on. But the but the the white folks looked like they were just really that 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 big of turds. Yeah. Um, the, the, let me claim that these are random. Okay, groups. I can't. Let me it, let me put this. Like, let me put it this way, Brian. Does it matter? Because let me. Did you doubt the data that they put out there? No, I, I didn't. didn't. Not at all. Not at all. But it's just that you know so they show it's her they, true they, enough they, that it looks true. They they clearly went in there and made Samantha Beal. You know they added they they made her look like she was per, um, uh, perspiring well, was heavily. In, right. Yeah. Obviously, that was a shtick. Uh, I, I sweat heavily when I'm comfortable. Exactly, yes. and that was clear. <laughs> exactly. That that piece of it was but clearly a yes, shtick. He was definitely putting on that. But the right. five other people, what we're being told is they are random grouping they got together. Okay. So I, uh, yeah. The other my thing favorite, that I found, oh, I was just going to say, my, my very favorite part of that was when one of the white, you know, they were, the African American reporter was talking to the white people and she was kind of asking about have they ever experienced racism or whatever. And, uh, in, uh, one of the white women was like, well, you know, I've never been interviewed for a job by a black person and <laughs> I'm in fashion. They're just not interested in fashion. <laughs> it's just so awesome. Now, yeah. um, they brought up Such the, a nice, um, they brought up the stop and frisk. Oh um, God, law. this was my favorite. Yeah. And oh yeah. In, in the group of the, the black people, four out of the five of them said yes, you've been stopped and frisked. The other one said, "Well, I haven't actually been in New York that long." Right. She hadn't I been there long the enough. Right. But the white people, the white right? One person, it. one person had been white stopped and frisked. Lady. Yeah. At the airport. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's not quite what we're talking about here. <laughs> And I, th I think this was great because it does show that there is a lot of white, as white people, we can't relate. But it's showing there's a lot that don't, don't even seem to clue. try to. Yeah, they're, they're completely clueless. And it's like, no, <laughs> you, that's part of the problem. You know, it, and we've talked about this early in the podcast already. You have to, it needs to be out there and talked about. It really does. Yeah. And so, and like I said, this video, I, I hope they're being honest. I, I, I respect the Daily Show. So I'm figuring they're telling us straightforward that these are five random people they found on the street that were willing to do this. And, it, you know, it's not the most scientifically accurate thing, but it says a lot. Yeah, I, I, I can I can I can appreciate that probably their answers were, were genuine. Um, but it, the exasperation on and what what is her name that the, the black woman who was interviewing the white people. 
Jessica Williams. Jessica Williams. The exasperation on her face was, it had to have been real. I mean, it was just, it was just so insane what those people were saying. And it just so clearly illustrated like the background type of racist shit that we're not even aware of, you know, like, like what, what role models do black women have in STEM fields or what, you know, that kind of stuff that we just don't even think about. Isn't, isn't part of the problem though, not acknowledging it. And and, and this, and this comes from, from white privilege. Okay. The next article um, is basically a white guy saying that um, we shouldn't even be talking about it. Well, like, oh, what? Mike Adams? So, what a yeah. douchebag. So, and he, he, I don't even know why he thinks he's basically the, uh, that, that one nature site. Yes, he, Mike Adams calls himself the health ranger. This is the guy when you really want to read something crazy and stupid, you bring up naturalnews.com. And here's the and thing so, is that this, I, usually it's, it's something ridiculous about, um, you know, Obama's healthcare plan, or it's some stupid thing about herbs. But this, that, what is this doing on a healthcare site? Yeah, that, that's one of the things that really got. To. But he's basically um saying that there is no racism problem; that it's all political, being made up by the blacks to get power and stuff. And he, you know, his well, examples he's are well, saying we that have, he's saying that the fact that we've got a black president now, and that there are people high up black, in the the highest paid athletes and sports figures are black. The highest paid entertainers are black. And so, black people keep position as mayors, governors, senators, and members of Congress. And that says that racism is dead. Well, I'll tell you what. Obama is our, is currently the highest, play, uh, highest paid black president we have ever had. <laughs> okay. And he's even willingly taken a pay cut because of um, the issues. But, I mean, yeah, basically saying, hey, look, black people – are in good position, so therefore racism is dead. Shut up and you know move on to other things. Well, look and what the Supreme home. Court and just his did. entire post is racist. And yeah, his, his so, yeah, it was. And it sounds the, to me like it's alive and well. The Supreme Court, you know, is trying to to neuter um what is it the um uh, um equal protection act right okay. saying and in in the Supreme Court is out there saying well this this isn't an issue anymore. I mean that that is the that is the propaganda line being put out. Right, we're past yeah. this, so we don't have yeah, to do it. Exactly, anything. but it's yeah. clearly yeah. not, not true. It's denialism. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it is denialism. Yeah, and it's one of those things, and you, it's mainly coming from wealthy white people that don't want to um, acknowledge it. And so it, I don't. You know, the the thing about the wealthy white people not wanting to acknowledge it is, I I don't think it's I don't think it's any kind of a. I don't think it's any kind of a, a plan to not acknowledge it. I think it's just simply that they don't want to see any unpleasantness. Well, it's blinders, right? right? It's blinders. Yeah. Pal MD, who writes the White Coat Underground blog, calls it incredulity of privilege. Like you haven't mm-hmm. experienced it personally, so it doesn't exist. You know, there is um, yeah. uh, a, a pod- good point. Yeah, there's a podcast called um, the um, Oh God, I can't remember it. But they've done a huge. They had they had for weeks. They had discussions on white privilege and white people calling in saying that there was no such thing, and other people calling in and saying that you know how big a problem it was. Um, I, oh, I wish I remember the name of the podcast off the top of my head, but I mean, the, the, there's they had this long discussion about white privilege, um, and there are some people that could never be convinced that it exists. 
Right. Well, because they cite stuff like highly paid basketball players and they forget that the heads of all the major corporations are old white dudes and they forget that the, you know, the 1% almost exclusively all old white dudes. And, you know, they just, they cherry pick the data. So there's like a few basketball players are, who are highly paid. So we're no longer racist. Right. Well, they're being highly paid mainly by white dudes. So, well, that's, who the team? Yeah. yeah, who are the team owners? Yeah, well, and exactly. yeah, the team owners and who and who are the coaches? You know that that are making tons of money, and they are essentially exhibiting these highly paid black athletes as gladiators on a field to get white and black people to come and view the games and pay money. Right. So, you know, right. have we gone so I, forward I, or have we gone backward yeah. into Roman times? So I think the racism thing, we all seem to be on the same page on. It's still alive and well in America and messed up and not the direction we need to be heading. But the next stuff, we're going to look into intolerance in other areas now. And the first one I want to do is one that relates back to what we were talking about, not paying attention to the talent and busy looking for differences and reasons to be upset. You know, we talked about that the um, kid that could sing really well, but they didn't care about that. Um because he was Mexican. Well, a Mexican heritage. This next one is, um, I guess in the last Wim- Wimbledon, um, a, the, um, winner of the female, the women's Wimbledon champion, Marion Bortelli, um, was deemed undeserving, ugly, fat, slut. And basically, um, I don't give a damn what they look like. If you make it to Wimbledon to begin with, you are, I, you know, I, I can't play tennis worth of crap. I'm, I'm horrible at sports in general, okay? I, I know that Wimbledon is these people who live, breathe, you know, tennis is their life. They know what they're doing. And I have no business whatsoever criticizing anything they do because I can't compete. I don't understand that level of commitment. And to win Wimbledon, to actually be the women's champion is something far beyond uh, my reach. You know, I, I am never going to be a champion in any sport. I know that. I accept that. And when someone does something like that, it is something that you have worked hard to get there. Um, it is awesome. That is such an accomplishment. Congratulations. Then to have and these idiot fucking assholes come in and say, wait a minute, she's too ugly to win? Well, apparently what they were looking for is pictures to stroke off to, so. Yeah. And per- right, apparently what that, is you know, the that, other point of, you know, what is the point if not to produce that? Well, that, well, that was one of the, kind of the point of the little tennis dress. Yeah, but. that was one of the, the, the whole thing. That was one of the Twitter comments is that, you know, if these women aren't hot, what's, what's the point in watching them anyway? You know, I was trying to pinpoint why this pisses me off so much, like this particular one. And I realize it's because she looks like me. She's built like I am. I'm built like the champion here. And so what this says is that I'm an undeserving, ugly, fat slut. You know, you know what, what I mean? Though? Like, I, I looked up, I looked up pictures of her on, um, I did an image search and sometimes she looks, you know, pretty and sometimes she, she, you know, she, when she's playing tennis and that, she, you know, she, she plays hard. And she's uh, not, she's not a 20 year old with stem legs. Right. She looks like she's probably mid thirties and spends a lot of time in the sun. She's 28, it says. Okay. Spends a little more time in the sun than I thought then. But, you know, she's got, she's got the complexion of somebody who does a lot of time outdoors and probably most of that time is spent on practicing and practicing and practicing her tennis. Right. right. And basically everyone was saying the second place, if you look at some of the comments, the second place one who's more of a stereotypical blonde, 
who's supposed to be the more attractive of them, is the one that I'll, I'll let her win because she's more attractive than you. We don't give a damn about actual talent or the actual competition. We want the one we're finding more attractive to be the winner just because we are bigoted. <laughs> is she more attractive? <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, I, looking at this picture, they kind of look the same. I agree. That's the thing. I'm looking at them, and it's like they have slightly different builds. The blonde is taller, but I'm not really seeing that much difference in overall look. I don't, I don't know. But, it, 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 but see, it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, what astonishes me, too, about this is so so many of these guys are being just hateful, fucking misogynistic assholes, and yeah. their little Twitter pics are them with women. What the fuck? Women are with guys who are like this. Uh, um, I, I got <laughs> you know? Photoshopped ones. <laughs> there, there is an article on why women date assholes. I haven't read it yet, but that might be something to bring up for a future podcast. There's one more thing to acknowledge here, and that's that Everybody has racist and bigot tendencies, and they're there, whether whether we like it or not. the The trick is to to recognize them and 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 to be conscious of them. and And I think that we, that's a difficult thing too, because who wants to admit that they're a racist and a bigot? I certainly don't, but I know that I have these tendencies, and I can identify them, whether wow. I like it or not. I'm I'm looking down this list of Twitter comments and I'm just floored. There's like a whole line of she has a penis. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I know. It's awful. Oh, it's it's ignorant beyond belief. It's, um, and once more, it's one of those things like it should be the um accomplishments, the talent that counts, not the looks, not the ethnicity, nothing like that. You know, you you should be judging people on you know. In this case, like I said, I could never hope to come close to um doing that i don't have the talent i don't have the discipline to do it it is awesome you praise a champion like that who clearly worked hard to get there i don't care what she looks like sure and that's yeah, it, be doesn't, the like, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to the game what she looks like right <laughs> like i don't no. get it it's just so well okay but wait a second the... hold on is it easier for somebody who's more attractive to get better sponsors probably okay so yeah. here so it is more difficult to to win these things if you're not attractive for that very purpose getting funding to do this kind of stuff it um could make things difficult yeah, well, and they almost when, mean uh, you have to have a lot more talent than the more attractive one. well there that, that, and that might be true too Steffi Graf was the flavor of the week everybody loved Steffi Graf because she was cute and and she could play tennis and all these different things but mostly because she was cute. But once again, we have to acknowledge that, yes, even though it shouldn't matter, it does matter. Yeah. And yeah, going no, off that, of this, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, in that kind of background radiation way that we sort of don't think about, that's harder to see than obvious discrimination. Right. Like you're saying. And, and that goes into the next few ones, which is about um, basically fat shaming. And the yeah. first one is one of those things, I, I mean, this is one of those things that I can't believe someone would put on a um, comment. But, um, Actually, looking at the information, I can't guarantee how accurate this is because they don't give much information. But the claim is the guy came into a restaurant and wrote on a, a comment card that um, the waitresses should be put on a diet. And apparently, according to the a person, he came again and the manager told him to leave. Good. Uh, I think that link was actually down. Yeah, I just I put it back up. It. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I couldn't get to it earlier. But you look through it um, and think, service. Was your server, server knowledgeable? Yes. Was your server, service prompt? Yes. Was your server presentable? Not really. Um, put waitresses on diet. Did you receive service with a smile and positive attitude? Yes. And it's like, okay, so the service was great, except well, for the fact fat that... fat people you, are jolly, and everybody knows that. 
Oh, man. So Service with a Smile is going to be there. Everything was great except for the fact that, you know, how dare you have someone um not the perfect size serving me. I was like, what? That, that, um, and it is, let me ask that real quick. Just, restaurants? just a side note here. Does anybody else see the advertisement that's, uh, that's on this particular thing about waitresses on a diet that says one tip for a tiny belly? No. I, I block ads, so I wouldn't see it. Okay. I, I just think that's a little ironic, that's all. <laughs> but th- there is a level of fat shame that goes on with some people. And yeah. you have that in the next article. It looks into, uh, apparently, uh, this was a advertising campaign to try and get kids not to be fat. And it said stuff like, chubby kids may not outlive their parents. Fat kids become fat adults. Big bones didn't make me this way. Big meals did. And he has his father's eyes, his laugh, and maybe even his diabetes. And this article goes into saying, actually, um, by doing that to a kid, you're not helping them. You know, see, yeah, they're, they're making them did not work. You're screwing up their self-esteem more. Yeah. And not giving now, them positive alternatives to, you know what I mean? Like, right. there's like this whole, this whole socioeconomic issue too, I think, at play that people don't talk about in terms of access to fruits and vegetables and being able to afford both the products and the time to prepare healthy meals if you've got you know, both parents working or whatever, latchkey kid. And, you know, I, there's so many kind of social safety nets that I think would go a long way to solving some of the health obesity problems that we have that yeah. have nothing to do with these kids individually. But it no. even talks about, like, how the biggest loser, the TV show, the the, the way they, um you know, by rate, the way they right. put down the people and, yeah, and, um, yelled at him and stuff, doesn't actually um, motivate people to improve themselves. And yet that's no, one thing that's kind of worse about themselves. Yeah. And, uh, you that, know, uh, from my own, my own weight gain, one of the first things I want to do if I'm feeling bad about myself is I want to throw something down my throat. Yeah. Hmm. I want to throw something comforting down my throat. I want to, I, you know, it's, you're not going to be my friend, but this pizza will be. Right. It's interesting. This pizza will be a very good friend to me for the next 20 minutes, and then it's probably not going to get along with me overnight. I have the opposite reaction to that kind of depression in that I can't eat when I feel like that. Yeah, well, you're real thin, too. So I'm not real thin, not anymore. I think we can all conclude, though, that <laughs> I am the one in this group who has been most likely to experience fat shaming. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a kind of a wake-up call on this one today. I was thinking about this article, and I was at my parents' house watching a game show, and they they picked the person of the three girls. It was Chain Reaction, which is, you know, I, I, I rail at the stupidity of some of the people on the show. They have to pick out what the next word in the chain is based upon the it, – it's all figures of speech. And – they got to the stage where they have to do like seven answers in a row and, and double their money. And they picked the tall, thin brunette with glasses. And I made the comment that they picked the most intelligent of the three girl, the most intelligent looking of three girls. What caught my eye though is that one of the women was heavier set and I immediately dismissed her as not being very smart. And I thought, and this is me doing this. Wow. And, and that, that but that goes back to my point that we all have to acknowledge these things in us and, 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 and yeah. deal with that. Um, there, there's a woman that we bowl with and, uh, um, of another guy that was, um, on the team, you know, looked at this woman and said, Oh, she, you know, she'd be real pretty if she lost some weight. And I looked at her and I thought, well, actually, I, I, I like her the way that she is. And I, and I told him, I said, listen, she's fine the way that she is. But then I saw her smoking. 
and she was right. less attractive to me. Yeah. Let me let me continue well, on with my point oh, though okay. about this. Sure. I started thinking about about characteristics that you would associate with heavier people, and you know, jolly, not too bright, not too with it, slow, kind of lazy, greedy, taking more than their fair share. Um, there's a book I'm reading right now. It's an old western, and I, didn't you put something up, Ian, about the fact that people are never casually fat in a story? Oh, I did, yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You put up something Couple about things, yeah. the fact yep. that, that being heavy in the story is always a point. It's not that they just happen to casually be heavy, but there's always a reason why they're heavy. It's a character and, flaw, and, or it's evidence of yeah. character flaw. Yeah, and there's this character in this story that I'm reading right now, which I believe is Showdown at Yellow Butte. Old Louis L'Amour book. And they're introduced to one of the guys, the, the main character who's a kind of a mercenary gunfighter is introduced to one of the guys who's paying him. And the guy's description is that he's extremely heavy. And right off the bat, the author is giving you a bad feeling about this guy. And he's, the language the guy uses and the things he says help to increase that bad impression about him that there's something that's not right with him. Well, your point about taking more than their fair share, that's not something I had ever thought of. Like all the other stuff you said, I totally like can see that. That's one that had never occurred to me, but I can see how insidious that might be sort of as a yeah. subconscious I don't necessarily, yeah, I don't necessarily And, and I didn't think of that, I didn't make that connection until I'm mm-hmm. reading this story about this story with this character in it. And I'm thinking, well, he's obviously greedy because he's that, that heavy. Hmm. I never Is made that the association. Why, oh, I was just, I was one just, of the big, Topics of discussion about obesity has to do with healthcare funding and the amount of, you know, public dollars that it takes to care for obese people. And that, uh, taking more than their fair share really speaks to that, yeah. in my opinion. I, I was going to say, I never made That's the association, I never made the association between weight and intelligence, uh, at least consciously in intelligence now, but now I can see that too, because we think, well, these people are too stupid to stop eating. Right. Yeah. Um, and I will punch yeah. you when I can next see you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Way. I'll take you out to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay, only going to be the arm, not the face. You're all right. <laughs> can I so, have, can I just, yeah. I was just going to say, I have a very short aside. So, uh, the, one of the things that I see here now that I live in the big city is, uh, is diversity. And I saw a bodybuilder at our pool recently, like one of those guys whose like neck is the size of my waist. And I, it was a spectacle and I, I, I uh, auto-filled all that kind of shit that you just said. He's an idiot. He's he's slow because he's muscle-bound. He's so fucking slow. He can't... It takes him like 20 minutes to lower himself into the pool. So at first I was kind of intimidated and scared just because of his sheer physical bulk, and I just assumed that he was completely hopped up on steroids and stuff. But I could outwalk this dude, you know, without <laughs> even breaking a sweat. <laughs> so. hey, there's another one. Slow doesn't necessarily mean dumb. Right, this is physically slow. Like he might be. Well, I know, but, but we, we have this idea that when people maybe talk slower, that they're stupid, like the southern accent. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, however, you know, if it gets really, really cold and we don't have a coat, which one of us is going to be inconvenienced first? It ain't going to be me. (laughs) It's always me. I get hot quickest and I get cold quickest. Yes, I know. Thank you. Yeah. Inside every heavy person is a thin person screaming for another pizza. Right. Yeah. On to the next one. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, is this, do we want to do this one? Do you want me to do this? I'm fine with it. Okay. So anti-choice activists want to know, are workers at a Kansas abortion clinic asking to be shot? 
Oh, they're just asking for it. Well, you know, this this is definitely victim blaming. It it is definitely victim blaming. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so they, um, in Wichita, Kansas, um, the, this abortion clinic, the, uh, had shut down after, after, um, uh, anti-abortion activists shot the initial doctor. So they killed this guy and then, and the clinic shut down. So they were pretty happy. They were able to go on and, 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 and worry about, you know, well, it says, what, what did it say about how, um, liberals were doing something else? But recently yeah. the, uh, the clinic has, uh, has opened back up and the town is position, petitioning the city to, to shut it down because basically they're afraid that they're, that they'll be forced to go shoot these people again. Right. And they can't their, be their innocent, their innocent lives will be ruined because they were forced to shoot people in, in, in defense of their loving, in defense of their loving God's religion. Egg, well, pro-choice. Yeah. They're pro-choice, so they have to go shoot people. Well, right? that, that's the whole thing that, that kills me about this. So, you know, I, I, you, you hear these stories, uh, there's, there's a story about, um, this, uh, abortion sorry, doctor. Sorry, I just, sorry, let me just interject. I oh, I'm totally misspoke. They're pro-life. They're pro-life. They're pro-life. Yeah, okay. exactly. They're pro-life, not pro-choice. Um, th- there is I, a- I think anti-choice is probably a better, considering that they're pro-life and talking about killing people. Yeah, they are anti-choice, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that pro-life probably stops applying somewhere in there. You well, know, somewhere between them loading they're... the gun and aiming it, I think they stop being pro-life. <laughs> Sure. Well, no, they were pro-life. They're they're pro-life until you're born, or until exactly. you can be sent to war. Then if you need, and then if you need healthcare or public education, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you then you're just a burden, right? You're entitled. Um, but there is I I hear I recently heard a story about you know an abortion doctor who was shot in his church. Yeah, that's mentioned in this article. Was it article. this guy? It might have been Tiller. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it might have been. Yeah, in fact, yes, it was. It it, it just floors me the hypocrisy. That, that, that shows we're Christians. We believe, you know, you know, all these things, but we will kill your ass if you disagree with us. And there's definitely a level of intolerance that comes Right. But from what these people are saying religion. is that we, that, that they, we need to remove this so that we're not forced to do something we don't want to do. Yeah. So that, and so that women don't have this option. Well, that's right? okay. But that, that's the real issue, right? Is, is that they want to prevent these services from being available. Right. Yep, because women should stay home and make baby, preferably man-child. <laughs> and they shouldn't be having sex until marriage. But it's okay for, even though it, it, they, they say it's not, it's okay for men to have sex out of mar- outside well, of marriage. Now, but hold it's on, not okay hold for on women. a second here. The math on that is wrong. <laughs> they don't want women to have sex until marriage, but they want men to have sex I until d- marriage. I, I just, I and didn't say the math was right. Each other. Right? I didn't say yeah. the math was right. <laughs> so I'm saying the math is wrong. <laughs> I or didn't say that. Some lady that they don't talk about who's been very busy. Listen, facts. Listen. Hey, hey, keep your liberal right. numbers out of this, okay? It's okay for the men, not okay for the women. <laughs> and slut shaming, um, based on the next article, high schooler protests slut shaming after an assembly despite alleged threats from her principal. So basically, you have a public high school that did a abstinence-only programming, and um, this one senior at the school said, "Wait a moment, that's wrong," and stood up and you know went and said, "You know that that's slut shaming. We shouldn't be having it." And the principal um 
threatened to threaten to blacklist her at her college. Yeah, which was Wells Wellesley, which was having none of that shit. So uh, they sent a Twitter out when this all broke, the news all broke, saying that they would be happy to have a young woman of such fine character at their school or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I just well, really and love. she's the student body vice president, which means that honestly, she is doing exactly what she should be doing, which is representing the students' rights. Right, but she's getting bullied in the process. Yeah, and it's, it's not actually bullying if the principal does it. I think. <laughs> well, and I think so at is that it? When it becomes instruction, no. Is it an establishment clause violation to have a religious person come in and disseminate what they're trying that to pass off as medical information? Well, the FRF argument on this one. Yeah, the FRF is involved in in several lawsuits um, regarding those exact types of things at the moment, um, and. And so, yeah, I think it probably is. I think it is an establishment clause issue, but I think that he's more likely to believe in Santa Claus than establishment clause in this case. Hey, you can't this fool me. The There's no sanity clause. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's one problem with abstinence-only education is it is religious, it is um, non-scientific, and it actually... Um, has inaccuracies left and right throughout it. Yeah, she said condoms were ineffective. Yeah, well, if you yeah, look at which... it, um, uh, condoms were ineffective. Every instance of sexual contact will lead to sexually transmitted That's infection. Sweet. And, you know, but, and that's standard stuff for abstinence only. They don't teach the facts. They ignore the facts. They ignore the reality of it. And it's been proven over and over again that it doesn't work, that actually kids that are brought up on that logic are actually the ones who are more likely to go out and get knocked up for, um, they're old enough to really be able to deal with it. Ian, is that just I'm your is, that, is that just your liberal numbers that say that? <laughs> um, according to these people, more than likely, that's. <laughs> but all, all facts that go against what they agree with are just liberal numbers. That, but I mean, all right. all across the world, we've seen time and time again the countries that generally have the more open, honest sexual education are the ones that have the lower teen birth rate, the ones that have the lower um, abortion rates. There's a pattern. And these idiots that keep pushing the um, abstinence agenda don't want to connect dots. They want to ignore the reality. They want to ignore the pattern. They want and, to live in a fantasy world. Yeah. Right. And the, the, yeah. you know, they want to do the slut shaming. It's like if, if you have those thoughts, you're evil. And you know, if you actually t- take action to it, you know, it's horrible. And to actually plan it ahead of time by having precautions ready. Oh, my God, that's horrible. That means you really are a slut and just want it badly. Well, it's If it's, you have I'm, those thoughts, you're probably a guy. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm just. <laughs> I was just gonna make the. I was just gonna hammer my uh, power dynamic drum one more time. That it's about like it threatens the power of these religious institutions to have facts get in the way, right? And slut shaming yeah. threatens the patriarchy, right? You well, know, or like not slut shaming. Let's the not patriarchy. forget that reality and facts have a well-known liberal bias. <laughs> well, and you know the thing of it is, I think that on some level the type of mentality here is threatened by anything that they find attractive. And so the, if, if they find something attractive, they have to term it a slut in order to disempower it and be less threatened by it. Well, you might say if they can't fuck it, they'll kill it. Exactly. Yeah. Nice and concise. That worked. <laughs> so let's let Terry take over the next, next aspect. Yeah, so the next one... Terms. It's back to that, uh, the next two are mine. That it's that, uh, body, that fat shaming stuff as before. Um, I just linked to a scientific article here that, um, 
that they did a couple of studies on women's attitudes towards body, like women's body preferences. And so they, um, quiz surveyed them before and then they showed them these images and then surveyed them after. And when they showed women images of like sickly thin anorexic women, they tended to prefer super thin women even more strongly than before they had been primed with those images. And then when they showed women mm-hmm. images of heavier sets, or obese people, they tend to prefer larger women or larger body types, um, you know, after being primed with those images. So it seems to suggest that if we had more body diversity, say, in pornography, in the media, you know, in um, ads, in clothing, you know, clothing advertisements and on and on. And if we if we had more exposure to images of body diversity, we would be less likely to discriminate against fat people or overweight people or, you know, I understand your point about the pornography, but, you know, we've got Ron Jeremy out there still doing porn, and I'm still not getting lucky off that. <laughs> I, yeah. I've seen some heavier women in porn that are actually quite attractive. Well, there's yeah. plenty of women who who yeah. are are technically obese that are freaking hot. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. I was actually going to bring up, I tried to bring up earlier, Kate Upton. I think she's quite attractive, and yet there are people out there who are looking at her saying, oh, she's too big. And she's not your bone thin average model. She has well, a little weight on her. But The woman we were looking at who made her TARDIS dress costume. Right. She was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting what the standards are. I mean, like I said, if Kate Upton is too fat for you, uh, you guys are wanting basically skin and bone. Well, the, well these bag are... Of hangers. We saw that with this, with the Wimbledon thing though. I mean, like how many yeah. of those dudes came in? Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. So the other article I have is this, um, this article by a writer who, uh, who is, is fat and she says, warning, I will employ the word fat. And she talks about just what, um, Mac brought up earlier where, um, in literature, the, the fat character is disagreeable or, you know, they have character flaws or they're fat because of, you know, whatever. And, um, Let's see, I had a, I had a part here that I wanted to read. Let's see, oh, here we go. People who've always been good looking, she says, haven't a clue that how they're treated, how much it has to do with their appearance. I even bet that attractive people have a higher opinion of humanity because they're treated nicely, right? (laughs) Since everybody's always nice to them, they think everybody's always nice, but everybody's not nice. But that goes back to our, um, daily show clip. Where the right, white exactly. people who have never had any problems with racism aren't, you mean racism exists still? No, no, no. We've never suffered from it. Right. There's still like 7% racism. Or no, it's 50% solved. That's what they said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, I was having a conversation about one thing that I have written about and one thing that I'm curious about is the culture of the doctor patient interaction. And so I was having a conversation with my GP about that recently because what what they do that she disagrees with is you take someone into a doctor's office, you put them on a scale, which stresses a lot of people out, and then you take their blood pressure immediately thereafter. So they're, you know, she's like, this is completely inappropriate to take their blood pressure. We put them on a scale, we stress them out, then we take their blood pressure. And of course they're stressed out because they're, they're on the scale. So, and she said that she feels that the, um, Obesity is the last socially acceptable form of bigotry where people can just be openly bigoted towards obese people and doctors included. So I thought that was an interesting perspective. I just posted a link um, uh, to an article on the Huffington Post. Uh, Jenny Runk, plus uh, plus size model. I never thought there was anything wrong with my body. And uh, she is a model who um, she she's doing the plus size line for H&M swimwear. 
And she's a very attractive woman, but she's not your classic thin model. In fact, she's better looking than most of them. But she's not really plus size she's, either. Well, but she is technically plus size. And this is what kills me is that she's probably closer to the average American woman size, right, than, than any of these models. And she's considered plus size. I'm not sure where I fall on the Gabriel Iglesias scale. <laughs> Apparently there are six levels. Uh, he, the, the, hot, the top level was damn, but he found out there was a level above that, which is, oh, hell no. <laughs> okay. He's the, yeah, guy who's, the, he's the guy whose tagline is, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy. Uh, I'm looking at some pictures of her, and she, you know, there, there's nothing unattractive about her. And if that's plus size, then... Well, wow. okay, how about, how about, you know, if you, on the bottom of this Huffington Post article, there's a, there's a slideshow, and one, and, and so, um, Lady Gaga has gained a lot of weight, right? Um, and, and she's... Well, anytime a, a celebrity puts on like five pounds, though, suddenly... Oh well, God, and what she, what she said about it, she was very open about it. At one point, she said, listen, I'm trying to find a better weight for me. I cannot be that thin anymore. Yeah. Um, Adele is not an, is not an unattractive woman. No, I, and, you know, there's a lot going on, although leading to the next article about, um, appearance and stuff and how, you know, you're perceived, um, the next article is plastic surgery, may, sorry, plastic surgery may not actually make you prettier. And it talks about, um, people that go in for plastic surgery and how their looks are rated before and after. And on the average, the attractiveness only goes up on a scale of one to ten. The average only goes up point zero eight. So, I mean, they don't even make it to the one. And we're so obsessed with this body image thing that people go in and spend thousands and thousands of dollars to fix their imperfections. And yet when other people look at them, it's like, okay, you went from a 6 to a 6.08 on the scale. You, you didn't even, you know, it's you just wasted that much money to make yourself mildly more attractive. And To to whom, though? Do they feel better about themselves having done that? Well, I mean, is there a valid... You know, there's an excellent point right there, especially when it comes to plastic surgery, is that this this is not necessarily about other people. So, there's the, if, if they feel better after it, you, I, I think in those cases, we gotta let that go, because that was their decision. Okay, that's true. But we're, we're looking at the perspective outside of them. And like, with Pamela Anderson, I thought she looked so much more attractive for the plastic surgery. Uh, you know, her Playboy covers before she had the plastic surgery, she was hot. And then after the plastic surgery, she looked fake. And I don't find that that attractive. Um, well, the porn star, Gina Jameson, same thing. She, she went through plastic surgery that made her look so fake. But here's Her the thing face that, does not look real anymore. Okay, but who, how does she feel about it? I, I don't know. Well, one of the problems in their possession is how much of it is what they wanted, how much is it what they thought they needed to do to keep young stuff. Uh-huh. Well, that, yeah, you know what? Qu- quite frankly, stay relevant. yeah, but they're, they're, they've got their own body issues to deal with. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, so I have this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that with this kind of stuff, particularly plastic surgery, like there, there is a woman who continues to get bigger and bigger breasts and she looks, I mean, they're, they're, they're obnoxious, right? But yeah, she wants them. She feels better, even though it's destroying other elements of her life. It's destroyed her marriage. It's destroying her back. But she continues to do it because she feels better about herself. Now, there's a point here where where it, where she's doing it to a point where it's endangering her life, right? But right. there's also a point there where we uh, we can't judge whether it makes her look any better. It's how does it make her feel? And in some, in a lot of these situations, these people after the plastic surgery, they look 
awful. I agree. But it doesn't matter how I feel about them. It matters about how they feel about themselves. But I would suspect the fact that they continue to do it over and over again, that is probably not helping. Right? But that's so a Brian, different psychology. Right. You're defending the placebo effect then. Uh, yeah, I am. I, I am because, <laughs> because these, because it's, well, the, you well, have sometimes to, well, okay, well Terry, tell them because, yeah. <laughs> well, but is it, I don't know, because like, uh, in that earlier article I linked to, there was a point about tooth straightening, like how people treat you dif- differently once you get your teeth straightened. Well, there's or, that. Right, there's that. The other thing I was going to mention is that I have this crazy anthropology theory about, um, plastic surgery being a marker of status and the fact that it's, if it's like, the, the overdone plastic surgery. I mean, like, there's plastic surgery you don't know about <laughs> that looks awesome, and then there's the overdone stuff. Right. Um, kind of that overdone stuff, to me, might, it's possible that it's a status display. Like, that's a luxury item. Like, we were talking about the tanning beds, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, it's a good point. Terry, is if this you a, wind up looking like it. Joan Rivers, though, chances are you've gone too far. Yeah. Is this a good, uh, a good time for you to talk about the, the stuff you had done, Terry? Yeah. Uh, you know, we could talk about it now. There's a, whole, we could... there's a whole podcast about that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's coming. Okay. Never mind. That's right. Yeah, Plus, we're an hour and a half in right now. Okay. Okay. But, but yeah, can... so as much as I like talking to y'all, I know. I got a bird in there. Well, let's actually finish over this last one because this last one, okay. Most of what we've been talking about is the physical perceptions, how you're viewed for your physical um, looks, you know, race, weight, body type. You know, we just talked about plastic surgery, how that touches you. This last one is an interesting sign of intelligence because um, the article is, I refuse to reward Lori, well, I refuse to reward low goals and lack of defined career path. And what you have is you have um, this, uh, actually, I think I will read the exact thing he wrote. Okay, guy's name is John. I am a full-time soldier with a college degree and countless hours, days, weeks of military training. If my check were boiled down hourly, it would be roughly $30 an hour, which is exactly why I refuse to tip someone more than $10 for my half hour of a restaurant. If they have only two tables, they're making more than me with zero training for their job. I tip that only hoping that they are serving while pursuing some other form of training or education. If I knew that the waiting tables was the apex of their career ambition, I would only tip $2 and tell them to set better career goals. If it makes me a bad person to refuse to reward low goals and lack of a defined career path, so be it. I guess I am an asshole. Yes, and I will say is. yes. Yeah, he is. Or an asshole. Because you <laughs> okay. are, that is intolerant. He is basically judging yeah. a person on, you are right now in a, um, serving at a restaurant. I don't care how you got there. I am judging you purely on the fact that, um, that is what you are doing because I consider that a low pursuit job. I consider that a worthless job that, only the most pathetic people would take. Let me ask you this, though. Yeah. Would he differentiate between the person serving at Denny's and the person serving at the Brown Palace and the Palace Arm? Well, if he's only spending half an hour in a restaurant, yeah. I think we can assume. Okay. Thanks. Because those people, that there are some people who the, it, it is their career, and they have made excellent careers at at these high end restaurants of, of being, of, of being waiters and waitresses. There are, there is certainly a place where this can be done as a profession if you like it that much. But I am, but there are some people who do it at, at, at Denny's and that who they don't necessarily want it to be their career, but for whatever reason, that's what they could get. They're working their way through college. Yeah. They're working their way through college. Like right yeah. now with, with the job market the way it is. People have quite often have to take jobs below their skill level because they have no choice. Right. And, yeah. You know, it's not unusual for that to happen. And so there's, to try and, yeah. 
Oh, I was just going to say that I think I hypothesize that there's a statistical correlation between your asshole quotient and how you treat service people. I mean, well, I think been, yeah. the, um, the, there's been studies done and generally the working class are the better tippers than the wealthy. Yeah. Sure. Th- that's, yeah. I tend that, to over tip. Yeah. Sure. Now I do want to question his math. He's a full-time soldier, which I'm guessing he's basing on an, a 40 hour, 40 hour work week. So for a 40, 40 hour work week, he boils his check down to $30 an hour. But I think that he's a soldier all the time because he can be called into duty at any time. So I think he's actually making a lot less than he thinks he is. Well, but if well, you add in the bennies of the government, yeah, healthcare, I don't know about that. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about me. I'm on salary. I work generally four hours a week. But if something breaks, I could be called in at any time. Am I working 24 hours a day? Yeah. Not really. Well, my point is, if the positions were reversed, hell, I'd I'd tip him for for shooting somebody for me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Ooh, crickets. Yeah. <sighs> I was just thinking not the – we were back to the abortion article, right? The <laughs> no, no. He's a soldier. His job, is, his job is to kill people for his country. Yeah. Uh. But there definitely is an intolerance issue about how we judge other people for their career path. Sure. And this is very clear. I mean, you, you, like Drew Barrymore, I think she's a prime example. She had a great Hollywood career, screwed up. She had to do waitressing for a while until she pulled her life together and got back into – Hollywood now, she actually produces and stuff. Um, you know. Well, you could say, you could also say that Hollywood put her in that situation in the first place. Yeah, well, there was some stuff, yeah. But still. Hollywood didn't put the drugs in her. Well, they might have. Well, they might have. I mean, the, she was pretty young. That, 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 that is a, that, that is an interesting situation in and of itself. And whether it's an but anomaly I, or not, I don't know. But the fact that she had to waitress for a while. Did she have Kurgles beyond that? Um, at one point, she probably didn't because she was still kind of messed up and you know, hadn't pulled herself together. Once she pulled herself together and said, okay, I did the rate scene to survive and get by to make sure you know I could do it. Let's try and see if I can't start something bigger. doesn't matter whether or not she had that plan. It, what matters is at a time, she went and said, I will do what I have to do to survive. And you shouldn't judge her for that. During the time, she was a waitress. Was she a failure in Hollywood? A lot of people probably said so. But you don't judge her because she just has, you know, is doing what she needs to do. And this guy sounds well, like that's what he's doing. Judging people for doing what they need to do. And sure. the question is, is John judging people for doing what they need to do? Or is he looking for an excuse to be cheap? Well, right. you guys saw this thing. You guys saw that McDonald's put out that, that, that wage guide, right? To, to help people, you know, better spend their money. And they basically acknowledge in that. That, that somebody could not get a, make a, um, a living off of one job because one of the right. line items was your income from your second job. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So, and, and one of the problems is, is that, that it, people in those kinds of, of service jobs cannot make a living wage as it is now. Which is a completely different problem, but I think that that's one of the things is like, well, we assume that these people have, have career goals and more aspirations because you know. the job, because we couldn't live on the, on their income, but maybe they don't. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they like that, that job what and they, they like that so way of living. So what if they don't? Do we still get to treat them like shit? No, we don't I get mean, to treat no, them like shit. Don't. I'm not advocating no. that. I, what I'm saying is, is that if somebody does choose this as a career and that's what they want to do, there's no reason for us to tip them less just because we think that they should be doing something that makes them more money. Yeah. Well, also, I love his math. He's like, well, I only use it for half an hour. If I tip them 10 and they'll, they're waiting two tables and everyone else tips them 10, but he doesn't know anyone else is tipping them. He doesn't know how often they actually have customers at the table. Yeah. I mean, if for two hours they have people and then the rest of the day nothing, 
they're making next to nothing. I mean, he's assuming, right. you know, they live off of tips and they're not guaranteed a regular salary off of tips. Yeah. yeah. So right. everything he's saying is actually well, really he's, ignorant. He's also ignorant in the fact that his course of action is almost guaranteed to increase the mucus per- percentage in his food. <laughs> Especially at Denny's yeah. or a place like that. Not Denny's. All right, okay. So we, we do need to call us, but I, I appreciate that we're having this conversation because even though we, we are technically of the privileged class, we, we and, and we acknowledge that, we also need to, you know, we, we've done, I think we've done a good job of acknowledging a lot of things this evening. Um, we probably need to get some other perspectives on this as well. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think it, it is good that we're having this conversation, and hopefully we're having it in in a productive way, as opposed to the way that the, it's being conducted elsewhere. So, well, I don't and think we're having a self congratulatory discussion. Oh, I don't think so we are either, right? Basically, I think, yeah. Yeah. we're we're all we're all shitty racists, but we're trying to be better. Well, and and I think that it's important to acknowledge, you know, that um, it, it, there's a difference between having a racist thought and being a racist too, and I think that we should acknowledge well, that I- as well. I, I still need to see the actual play, but apparently the um the play the musical the um Avenue Q has a song. Everyone is racist in their own way. Yeah, I yeah, and there yeah. is a level of truth to that. They also um, have one the internet. There was a video. It was um it was LL Cool J and some country singer. I can't remember who the country oh, singer was, but the yeah, that was accidental racist. It was a good song. Sure. So, it was actually right. a really well done song. But we, I am calling it right now. We are done. <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly. So, good night, everybody. That's right. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to amateurskeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at amateurskeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. Hey, uh, Kate Monster? Yeah? You're a monster, right? Yeah. And you know Trekkie Monster, my neighbor? He's a monster. Right. So are you two, like, related? What? Princeton? I find that racist. Oh, oh well, I'm sorry. I was just asking. Well, it's a touchy subject. No, not all monsters are related. You know, you should be much more careful when you're talking about the sensitive subject of race. Yeah. Well, well, look who's talking. What do you mean? Well, you're the one who's always complaining because your students are always cursing. Yeah, well, they get that from Ram. <laughs> you're a little bit racist. Well, you're a little bit too. I guess we're both a little bit racist. Admitting it is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs>